When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to today's Daily Digest from Football Digest. I'm Nick Keaton and joining me this morning is Connor Bromley. Connor, I hope you are well as always. Obviously, we've got another busy week of Premier League action to get our teeth into uh, in the next 30 minutes or so. Um, and it's always nice when it happens that the first game of the weekend happens to be one of the most mouth-watering ones as well. Chelsea take on Man City at Stamford Bridge, a rerun of last year's Champions League final, which of course Chelsea famously won in Porto. Thomas Tuchel, since he's come in, Connor, he's he's done very well against Man City. He's got three wins already under his belt. And he'd be fairly confident of getting number four this weekend, given the way that Chelsea have started the season. And Man City may be looking like they're, they're still trying to get into their stride somewhat. Yeah, there's a lot of sort of um, take in with Man City at the minute. You know, Pep Guardiola seems a bit on edge, I would probably say. He, the way he's been, you know, the thing with the fans the other day was just bizarre. And um, he was talking about the... B teams or the under 23s going in the football league in the week, which has caused a bit of a stir on you know social media. I, I personally think that he's looking. It wouldn't surprise me if this is his last season at Man City. I feel like he's, he's been that tense and uptight, and he just doesn't seem to be his normal self. And Man City don't look like their normal selves. Of course, they've had moments. Obviously, the, the game against Leipzig was was typical Man City, but then you watch them against Southampton and that. They just did not look like that team that we've we've grown to know over the last five years. And I do wonder if this weekend against Chelsea, a team that's so you know well driven and well organized, I don't think Chelsea will necessarily hammer them because I don't think it's in you know Chelsea's nature to go into that game and, and stick three, four, fives. But it wouldn't surprise me if it was actually quite a comfortable win for Chelsea. And and if this is the beginning kind of of the Guardiola era unraveling and I say that and I'm probably going to be here on Monday <laughs> talking about how Man City are, are back but for me right now I just feel like the, it's not a happy camp at Manchester City and I don't know what you think Ned but to me it just it feels like something isn't right there. But it, it, it's strange in respect that I think we were here at this stage five games into last year uh, as well where everyone was writing Man City off and saying that this was the end of the Pep Guardiola era and I was part of that as well because it, it, there was just something it hadn't clicked them you know they and they took a while to get into their stride last season and then partially because everyone else was a little bit bad as well last year you know I think we can we can safely argue that that, that aside from probably Man United and no one else really kind of looked like they were performing to the best of their abilities on a consistent basis last season but Man City were able to come back from that ride that out and, and go and win the title and this was after we were all you know probably obviously you know five six games into the season last year was November time but at that point we we're all saying this is the end of Guardiola. He's not going to stay. Why have Man City offering this new deal? And then goes and goes and wins the Premier League. But I think it, feel, it, it feels different this time because where they got to the Champions League final back in back in May, that's what he's aiming for now. That that is the last thing that's that's waiting for Man City. They've they've conquered everything else. Won multiple League Cups. Won multiple FA Cups. Won multiple League titles under Guardiola and other managers as well. But. It's all, you know, for them, it, it, the holy grail was the Champions League. And because they they slipped from that in May and, and they didn't take their opportunity, it kind of feels like this is a, a long hangover. Like, we've seen it before, you know, you saw it with Tottenham as well, that kind of 
losing that final, losing such a big game, and then it's kind of like, okay, now, now what? Where do we go? How how do we how do we go about winning that trophy that eludes us? And because the focus is probably so much on that, maybe slips away a bit in the Premier League, um, which, which could be causing what we're seeing at the minute. But but as well, you know, we've had we've had five years of of Guardiola ball, isn't it? You know, 20, 2016, isn't it, that he was in that he joined Man City. So we've had five years of it now, five years for teams to work it out and understand their way of how to how to get the better of Guardiola. And we've seen it. Leicester done a job on them last season at the Etihad. Remember how they've done that. Spurs done a job on them at the start of this season as well. Teams know now know how to beat Man City, maybe where they didn't kind of understand it for the first couple of years when they were getting to grips with it. And that means that he's got to kind of adapt again. Like last season, they went to that false nine idea. It worked, but now teams have cottoned on to that. So now where, where did Man City kind of go? Um, you know, probably could do someone like Peter Crouch up top, you know, if they can tempt him out of retirement, just whip a few balls into the box and watch him head him home. But it is a conundrum that, that Guardiola's got to solve. And if he can solve it in the next few weeks, I don't think this is his final season. But if they're still stuttering and spluttering along kind of start of December, then Connor, you, you, you could be correcting that fact. Yeah, I, I just the way he's presenting himself at the minute just doesn't look right to me. I, I just think that I don't know if he's if he's maybe burnt out. Possibly, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. And I think Man City probably objectively were the best team in Europe last year. You know, I think if you look at them on paper and, and the way they played, you probably would say they they were the best team this year. Though I think they're worse than Chelsea. I think we can probably all agree going into this game that most people would say that Chelsea are probably stronger with Lukaku up front. I think you'd say they're probably worse than Bayern Munich or certainly at a level to them. PSG, of course, have obviously brought in Messi and their front three. Formidable, you know, and they've really invested in the team and made it better. So now you're looking at Man City and what did they do in the summer? You know, yes, they brought in Jack Grealish. He's a very, very good player. But did he really change anything for them? Is he any better than Phil Foden or Bernardo Silva or Riyad Mahrez? Maybe, but he's not that much better. He didn't move the needle for them. And I just think Man City have remained stagnant while everybody else has got better. Even Manchester United. I don't think Manchester United are better than Man City. But at least you can look at them and go Varane, Ronaldo, Sancho, who obviously hasn't done too well so far this season. But look at them three and you go, wow, well, Man United have really, really added quality to their team. And City are the one team, one of the big hitters in Europe, that, and a bit like Liverpool, actually. Liverpool didn't really strengthen either in the Savannah it's just it's strange because Man City have always been the team that is continually added and developed in this summer that, that didn't quite do it. And I just feel like they're, they're maybe a bit stale this year. That's, that's probably how I've, I've seen them. And I feel like Guardiola and himself feels a bit stale as well. And I don't know if he's just aware of that. And I don't know, maybe it's just after the Southampton game last weekend, I've went on a, a down after Man City, but I, I just feel like they're, they're nowhere near where they were. One team is definitely not going to stay, or at least not looking like they're going to stay in the early part of the season, though, is Chelsea. Uh, been impressive so far. Currently joint leaders alongside Liverpool, as you mentioned there, Connor. Uh, Romelu Lukaku has been a sensation since his return to Stamford Bridge. Uh, victory for Chelsea this weekend would take them six points clear of Man City after just six games of the season. Um, that would be one hell of a blow in the title race for Man City in their hopes of retaining it. And obviously for Chelsea as well, a, a real signifier. Maybe we can debate whether or not they should have won at Liverpool. Would they run at Liverpool had they kept 11 players on the pitch for, for the second half as well? You know, should have, would have, could have. That's all hypothetical. But this weekend, they've got a really, really good chance of, of laying down a marker and saying, this is us. We are here for the long haul and we are definitely the favourites for the title. 
Yeah, and I think you watch Chelsea's kind of title wins in previous years. They've always kind of been not necessarily runaways, but they've always been setting the pace. You know, the Mourinho teams were always setting the pace early on. When Chelsea do well, it's generally a good start of the season that kind of lays the foundation for them. They're not like what Man City were last year. You would never see them in eight and then win the league. That doesn't happen with them. They're always consistently towards the top of the league. And this year, they have that that air about them that they are going to do what they've done in previous years when they've won the league and start well and just continue and take it through um, the rest of the campaign. Being six points clear of City at this stage would be would be massive for them, but I think you know, you've also got to look at Liverpool. You know they've had a very very strong start of the season. Um, if they can match that form of the sort of twenty nineteen to twenty twenty, when they've just basically won every single game, now they've got Van Dijk fit, they could actually do it. You know people forget that now they've basically got essentially the the same squad without Gini Wijnaldum. They're going to be the 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 ones to watch if Man City. Do get beat this weekend against Chelsea. You think Liverpool probably going as second favourites for the title? As for yeah, just Man City. It, it's you can't afford to to lose it. They can afford to draw it. They can't afford to lose this weekend because I think it would really be a big mountain for them to climb for the rest of the season. Across their capital on Sunday afternoon, uh, another. I mean, I say big game, but that's because one of my teams. It's is a relegation six pointer. <laughs> exactly. It's not. It, we'll, we'll come on to the fact that the game has lost its its luster in in recent seasons. But Spurs against Arsenal, uh, or Arsenal against Spurs, probably the, the right way around to say it this weekend at least. Uh, big game at the Emirates for both sides. Connor um, Spurs could really ill afford after setting the pace in August. They they really really need to avoid a third straight defeat. Arsenal, though, if they get that third win in a row, draw level on points with Spurs, and that probably proves that some of the early season obituaries that, that we were writing about Arsenal and Mikel Arteta may have been a bit premature, perhaps. Yeah, and the thing is, is them early season obituaries were almost, in some ways, silly because we all looked at Arsenal's fixture list at the start of the year, and fair enough, they lost at Brentford, which was really poor, and I think that's where it all stemmed from, how poor that opening day was, but nobody expected them to beat Chelsea, you know, and nobody expected them to beat Man City, and they lost them games, and you looked at the last two, they should have won them, as in the games on paper that they would have said, yes, we'll win, and they have won them, and I think they were pretty comfortable in both, I know they went massive scorelines, but I think they were the better team in both games. This weekend's a massive game for both, because if if Tottenham win, then the the kind of the little bits of pressure on Nuno will, will, will dissipate a little bit. I don't think that the Spurs fans have really taken to him. You read things and you wonder if the Spurs players have taken to him. You see the mannerisms of Harry Kane, and I'm sure we could probably talk for half an hour about the whole Harry Kane situation. This is a, a huge game for both because a defeat. If 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 Arsenal were to beat Spurs three 0 at the weekend, you'd really wonder what what Spurs are this season. You know, are they going to be tenth, eleventh, twelfth? Is, is that where they're going to end up? And if Spurs win, then you'd probably say, well, Arteta were right, the right were obituaries. You know, it really is a, a big, as big a mid-table clash as you can get <laughs> at the weekend. It is strange that you, like, you summed it up now. It's a, it's a mid-table clash, really, isn't it? You know, if we're, if we're being honest, you, know, you go back 10 years and, and these were two clubs that were scrapping it out to, to fight and, and get into the Champions League places. And now they'd be lucky both of them, if, if they can get into the Europa Conference League this season. You look at the, the kind of situations that they're in, the transitional periods. So it's a strange one, isn't it? Because you kind of, you know, for us at least anyway, we grew up with, you know, obviously more so for me being from the local area. But we probably both grew up with this being a, a big game that you always look forward to, even as a neutral, like the Premier League. You knew it would be blood and thunder, lots of commitment, tackles flying in, some great goals, good quality mixed in. 
But as we touched on then, we're not really sure what to expect this weekend. We could end up with a, a dull, boring nil-nil where both teams are just happy at the point. Or hopefully we, we get the other thing, which is a, a nice, open, expansive game where they're all just you know chucking hammer and tong at it. Yeah, it's it's kind of like we've went back to the mid nineties, isn't it? I mean, that was probably the last time both of these teams were so average before Arsene Wenger was at uh, Arsenal and and Spurs were kind of average until about two thousand and five. Really, they weren't particularly a, a good team under George Graham and Glenn Hoddle. I'm just thinking back to my, my childhood, remembering the people there. Yeah, Jack Santini as well. It was only till Martin Yole came in. Uh, cruel, yeah, that, but yeah. Yeah, not over that one still all <laughs> no, these no, years still hurts, still hurts. yeah it, it it has it has lost its its luster you know the, the two teams that are probably at best fifth or sixth I mean that's at absolute best I really don't think that um either team are really better than Leicester um, I think Leicester are probably the fifth best team in the league not that they've had a good start of the season mind but I think if you were looking at them you'd look at what they've done in recent years and say they probably are better than both Arsenal and Spurs I think this game's really just a... It's going to be interesting to see which team's almost more of a shambles. And I think if from a, a neutral perspective, looking at it, I think Arsenal probably have the edge over Spurs. I think you look at the way Tottenham are playing at the minute, the fact that they've got Harry Kane, who who looks so disinterested. It, it You look at Arsenal and you'd say, well, at least their players look interested. You know, maybe they don't necessarily have the quality around the park, but Tottenham against Chelsea at the weekend, the second half, it was it was embarrassing, to be honest. That's probably the word I'd use. It was it was almost a pathetic showing. Um, but then I think Arsenal were pretty pathetic against Chelsea earlier in the season as well. So maybe it'll be who out pathetic's the other one. <laughs> <laughs> a battle to the bottom of the battle, yeah. I think is what we're... Maybe that's how Sky needs to sell it instead, you know, rather than kind of the big derby battle to the barrel at the bottom of the barrel. So you try and say that after a few points as well. Yeah. I mean, what do you think of, of of Harry Kane? You know, his his recent sort of, I mean, you saw at the weekend, Gary Neville, Roy Keane, I think Mikko Richards as well. They were all talking about on Sky how his body language just didn't look right. This weekend, surely against Arsenal, he, he is interested. He, look, he loves the derby. We all know that. You know, he scores pretty much in every game that he plays against Arsenal. But the thing I'd say about Harry Kane, and this is a big shout because he is such a great talent, but I think it was an absolute farce and a joke that he was welcomed so quickly back into that starting eleven. Um, you know, after he decided that he wanted to stay at the club, conveniently after Man City weren't going to bid the money that Spurs wanted for him. Um, you know, if that if that was me, I think I might have been on this podcast or might have said to someone else, someone else elsewhere, that. When he started that game in the Europa League, uh, Europa Conference League against, uh, oh, this is bad, isn't it, for me? That I can't even remember who he played the other month. Was in the, the, the Portuguese League. team? Pacos. Portuguese, Pachos. There we go. Thank yeah. you, Pachos de Ferreira. Um, that when he came back into that side and he started, that, that for me, I would have put him back on the bench for Watford. It would be like, right, okay, nice, welcome back. You've got your goals. You're still going to have to fight for it. But then straight into the starting 11 against Watford, okay, should have scored in that game. Um, you know, and he, and he played all right. But I think that sent the wrong message to him that, you know, you're welcome back and that's it and you don't have to work hard now. Um, I'm not saying he's being unprofessional at all here, but I think had we benched him for that Watford game, he'd now be back kind of working hard, still trying to put the effort in. And I'm not I'm not saying that he's dropped off completely, but there is that whole kind of thing of, well, you didn't let me go. Why, why you know, we've all been in that situation. You know, we've all been kids growing up when your parents don't let you do something so that you kind of like, you kind of start throwing a bit of a strop and, and kind of acting like a stroppy teenager. And as you said there, the body language is just all wrong. He doesn't, 
want it. it, it it's not like he can't score goals. He scored for England. Um, you know, <laughs> how many goals did he score for England in the in the international break? You know, so he, he knows where the net is still. It's not like he's going through a bad run of form. Um, and obviously scored midweek as well. You're right in the respect that hopefully this is the kind of game that, that gets him going again, gets the blood pumping. But if you, every game for Spurs should do that. If you're a Spurs fan and you came through the Spurs Academy and you have that attachment to the club, it doesn't matter if they didn't let you go and get your dream move in the summer. You should still be putting the effort in. You should put it to one side, park it and keep going. Christian Eriksen, go back to him. Wanted out of the club. He still gave his all. Still scored against Arsenal as well in uh, 2019. So that was kind of new. Um but he he still you know put it in week in week out and yet we all talk about him being a snake as as Spurs fans. He did far better, behaved far better before getting his move away than Harry Kane has over the past six weeks or whatever. Um, so yeah, he's he's got a lot of making up to do. Um, Harry Kane does, and he's got a lot to improve in his body language. But I'm sure if he gets a couple of goals this weekend, I might forget one or two things that he's done over the past six weeks. Yeah, might, but you know, if he scores one last minute goal, I'm sure he'd probably be <laughs> just about, especially if it was the winner. But I think yeah. that's. That shows, though, it's it's Nuno, isn't it? You know, you, you're talking there about how, you know, he was welcomed back in. But I think that's because Spurs don't have that big personality manager who can make them. Mourinho, for example, I know he didn't necessarily have a great time at Spurs, but I think he would have managed that situation better. He would have controlled it more, whereas it felt like Nuno was kind of just a bystander and just allowed to whatever happened, happened, wasn't getting involved, and then he's... Keynes came back in and he's like, right, okay, he's my star man. We're just going to play him irrespective of, of his form. But it, it sets the tone as well for his his entire tenure as Tottenham boss that the players now know that, you know, that, that there'll be some players in that squad that know that they can do anything and get away with it. And there'll be other players in that squad. You know, the only, the only good thing is that there isn't, that we don't have an understudy to Harry Kane, um, which is bad, of course, because if he gets injured, then, you know, we've not got really anyone to go out and get the goals. But it's good in respect that, there isn't anyone there to feel offended. Like, he, you know, there isn't anyone to go, but he's he's behaved badly. I've, I've worked hard, so hard in the training ground week in, week out. And now he's getting his chance and getting rewarded because he's decided that he wants to stay. So it's good in that respect, but it still shows that to the players that they can kind of throw their toys out the ground and do whatever they like and they'll still be welcomed back with open arms. And I think that was a bad, bad move because he, he had the chance there. She said, you know, kind of a stronger manager would have had the chance there to kind of lay down and go, no, 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 no one is bigger than me. No one is bigger than this club. I am the manager. You've got to treat us all with respect and you've got to work hard for that place in the team. But now he's just kind of showing that as long as you say your apologies and, and kind of turn up for training when you should do, because that's what you're paid to do, then, yeah, you know, we can we can have you back in the starting eleven because you're so good. Like it, it, for me, it just sends out the wrong message. Kind of moving further north, though, Manchester United, an inconsistent Manchester United, an up-and-down Manchester United take on Dean Smith's Aston Villa at Old Trafford. Just wanted to get your thoughts from Man United, really, since uh, they've returned from the international break. You know, pummeled Newcastle at home, Ronaldo scoring twice, everyone getting carried away almost, probably, you know, that United were going to cake all to the title. And then they're going to lose the young boys in the next game. Then they come back, squeak past West Ham, show good kind of fighting characters to get that win. And then pour in the cup against West Ham and go out to them. Why are Man United so inconsistent when they've got such a good squad? And they moan about a lack of strength and depth. I looked at that starting 11 against West Ham. That starting 11 was good enough to win that game, to turn in a better performance than they did. Just, you know, the, the pressure is on Solskjaer this year. He has to deliver some form of silverware. The Carabao Cup would have been a good opportunity. He's missed that. 
And now he's putting probably himself under more pressure, hasn't he, going forward this season to try and win either the FA Cup, the Champions League or the Premier League. Yeah, I think I think the, the conundrum with Manchester United is, is Solskjaer has continually, since he's came in, never had the never had the best squad. You know, he's, he's always had areas that he needed to work on and the the way that the Alex Ferguson era ended and the years that followed, which were just a disaster from Van Gaal, David Moyes, Jose Mourinho, it, just, it never, ever worked. And Solskjaer was picking up the pieces and I think he actually did a very good job of getting Manchester United back into being a consistently strong team that was going to be not necessarily challenging for the title, but they were, they were always not far from challenging from the title. It's probably the best way of saying it. Pretty much the third best team in the Premier League, I think, for the last few years. Um, the problem is now is they've got a very good team, an excellent team. I just don't think he's a, a title-winning coach. I don't think he's what you need for a 60-game season where you want to win on all fronts. I, I look at you know Thomas Tuchel, I look at Pep Guardiola, I look at Jurgen Klopp, and I, I would trust that they can have a team performing consistently over a full game. I mean, look at that Liverpool team for two years were phenomenal. You know, literally won virtually every game they played in the Premier League. Manchester United, you wouldn't trust to do that under Solskjaer. It it feels like they're winning because of individual brilliance far more than they're winning through a, a tactical game plan where the the pummel a team and, and get goals and the, there's an, an obvious philosophy because we can sit here right now can we say what Manchester United's philosophy is? Can we say that they play with a very distinct way? Because the other teams you can, you know, you look at City, it's, it's the the tick attacker, it's the high pressing, very, very possession-based football, almost beating teams by just pure creating creativity. Liverpool, you know, again, it's, it's a high pressure game, very, very active, very, very in your face. When they play at Anfield, you can just see that that whole philosophy coming through. United, you just you don't know what exactly they are. Are they just get the ball to Bruno Fernandes and hope that he creates something? Get the ball to Ronaldo and hope he scores. And I think that's where Manchester United are. You know, the, the people who are running that football club should be watching the way it's going this season. And even when they're winning games against West Ham, they'll won it through individual brilliance. They've won it through bringing people on from the bench. And fair enough, bringing on Jesse Lingard, it's a good move from Solskjaer. But the overall play of the game, Manchester United weren't really any better than West Ham. And and that's, I think, the key difference is they are winning games through brilliance of individuals rather than actually winning games through being the better team over 90 minutes, and particularly away from home. I think at home, they've been very, very good this season. And I think they would beat Aston Villa at the weekend probably quite comfortably. But I think overall, do I trust that they can you know, continually go to Southampton where they drew earlier in the season. Wolves, they played terribly and got a win. They're going to keep going to these places and, and struggle. And, and eventually they will get caught out. They will go to these sort of the lower 12 teams and lose. And that'll be what costs them the title. So even midweek, losing against West Ham, you know, we talked about the, the trophies there. Are Man United going to win the Premier League? Probably not. They've probably got an outside chance. Closer than they have been in recent years, but they're, they're probably not going to win it. Are Manchester United going to win the Champions League? Probably not. I'd say they're much further from that. Are they going to win the FA Cup? Possibly the League Cup was the thing that they should have been targeting. And look at Pep Guardiola. He targets that competition every single year to win it. And it just keeps Man City taking over because they're always going to have a very good chance of having one trophy every year. And I just, I worry with Solskjaer that he just isn't the right 
fit for Manchester United now. I think he was the right fit, but I think now they've they've took it up another level, and I don't think he's the coach to take them to that level, take them to the ability of the other players. Uh, back in London on Saturday evening, we've got the Moneyball derby, uh, as I've coined it. Uh, Brentford hosting Liverpool. Uh, it, it's already a ground, as we touched on earlier in this podcast, that the atmosphere inside it has already proven costly to one Premier League big boy. Can we call Arsenal still a Premier League big boy? Yeah, yeah just about qualifying. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, opening day of the season, you know, the, the crowd really whipped it up into a frenzy uh, inside the ground at the Brentford Community Stadium. Caused an atmosphere that Arsenal didn't really want to play in, want to know too much about. Can that help Brentford get over the line against Liverpool, or is this going to be another big win for Jurgen Klopp's boys? You think you'd you'd fancy Liverpool to win? I think Brentford will put up a very very strong fight. You know that they might even match Liverpool at the point where it's maybe you know one nil Brentford at one stage. But you'd think Liverpool would be too strong. Uh, I think as good as uh, Brentford have been this season, I think they have had a good start of the season. Liverpool are a, a different animal, and at the minute they look in, in very good form. And I can't see Brentford taking down Liverpool. No, don't see it happening. <laughs> Short and sweet, I like that one. <laughs> um, Monday evening, we've got the derby that's not really a derby, is it? Crystal Palace against Brighton. Everyone tells us that it's quite hostile and 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 everything else, but it's not really something that I've I've seen too much of in the Premier League, if I'm honest, in terms of atmospheres and and whatnot. But Brighton seems to be a surprise package in the early part of the season, don't they? Kind of, they've they've really done well. They're kind of everyone's always said about how good a coach Graham Potter is and, and what he can achieve. And you kind of you looked at where Brighton were in the Premier League, and it's like, has he really taken them on from where Chris Hutton had them? Um, but the start of the season really looks that way. You know, you kind of look at the table, and they're there nestled up in fourth place, higher than Man City, higher than Tottenham, higher than Arsenal. It's not a bad little position for them to be in, is it? Yeah, I think Graham Potter's done a good job last year that I think all the underlying data suggested they were far better than what they were. I remember reading, you know, their XG at home was much higher and they were really struggling to score goals at home. And you just wonder, is this year maybe the luck turned? Has it finally started clicking a little bit more? I mean, they've got Basuma in the middle and keeping him was like a new signing because he is um, probably outside the big six. He probably is the best um holding central midfielder in the league he's an excellent player and i'd be surprised if he's at brighton you know by next year i think that somebody will snap him up um they've been they've been excellent you know every time i've watched them this season i think they've, they've looked good and that they're a good mix of being quite defensively responsible but also that they're actually an all right football team you know they're not um lumping the ball up or anything that they do actually play football and as for the derby that's not a derby it's, it's something to do with like an, an old owner or something, isn't it? Didn't an owner own one and then switch to the other? But yeah, I mean, how many hostile derbies is there truly in football? I mean, would you say yeah. Tottenham Arsenal's <laughs> pretty hostile? Probably is. Uh, obviously, I would say something Newcastle's pretty hostile. Other than that, in England, there's not really that many really hostile ones. Because I always think as well, it must be difficult to hate somebody within your own city. So like, that's why I think the London ones are a bit weird, because you can't hate somebody who you just go to work with. Whereas if you've got two different cities, you would think you would because there's a, a dislike. There's a logical dislike between Sunderland and Newcastle, for example, because they're two cities that are next to each other. So there's, there's a difference there's an between the two. There's an element of pride in there, isn't there? Well, like yeah. Identity. And, yeah. and I think in London, it's probably different because it's so, it's so big that there is no... Like, I can understand there is differences in communities, but I can't understand why, say, in Birmingham, a, a Villa fan and a Birmingham fan wouldn't like each other because they'd just be mates. 
See, this is this is the podcast that asks all those philosophical questions yeah. that you've never wanted the answers to. Yeah. Um. Before we go, though, just a, a quick word. Leeds, West Ham. Leeds was everyone's favourite team last year, weren't they? To watch, you know, brilliant. Uh, you know, hipsters' favourite almost, but they were good fun to watch. Not so much good fun this year though, so far. Bielsa's boys look like they're suffering from a second season syndrome, perhaps. Yeah, but against Newcastle, they kind of look like they're old selves. I know Newcastle are bad, but. I did think it's St. James's on I think it was Friday last week. Leeds were, were looked more like the Leeds we were used to seeing that the first half that battered them and, and should have probably been further ahead than what they were. So I think Leeds will probably be more than than all right this season. Um West Ham, I don't like David Moyes, but he's doing a hell of a job. Like he is doing so well there. The the last few years he's been phenomenal for them and I think that'll be an interesting game. That's a good sort of yardstick for Leeds to see where they're at because they have had a bit of an iffy start, but this is a home game. They've not had a home game really this season where the, well, I suppose they played Everton earlier in the year, but they've had a decent start the season as well. But I think this is a, a good game for Leeds to see where they're at for the season because West Ham probably will finish in the top eight, even though they've got Europa League. Leeds, we're unsure of what they are. I think um, some people think they might be in the relegation battle, I would say they're probably a little bit better than that. But I think if they did lose at the weekend, you'd probably have to say, well, maybe they aren't as good as what people think. Uh, the other Premier League games this weekend, uh, Leicester take on Burnley, Everton host Norwich, Watford take on Newcastle and Southampton welcome Wolves. But obviously amongst them, there's not really too many other talking points, I don't think. But I mean, there's a couple of almost six-pointers in there. Southampton yeah, Wolves is a, it's possibly a six-pointer. Newcastle Watford, possibly a six-pointer. So, it could be interesting because obviously if if Watford beat Newcastle, I think Newcastle have two points from six games. So that's a really, really poor start. Um, and I think Wolves, you know, if they were to lose at the weekend, even though they've, they seem to have been playing all right, you'd think the manager would be under a bit of pressure and they got knocked out in the League Cup as well midweek. So it, there is some potential talking points there um, if, if results kind of go against Newcastle and Wolves. But see what happens. Indeed. Uh, a reminder that, of course, you can keep across all the Premier League action uh, this weekend across the Mirror, the Star and the Express, as well as all of Reach's regional titles as well. All that's left for me to do is to thank Connor for his time this morning. Thank you for listening uh, and wish you a good day, a good weekend. And we'll see you next time.